Perfect. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Um, so, and how do I pronounce your last name? Acevedo. Acevedo. Okay. Yeah. Some people say avocado, <laughs> which I'm fine with, but yeah, no, it's not, it's not avocado. Acevedo. Awesome. Okay. So for our guests, I have Christina Acevedo here. She earned her red seal as a French cuisine chef in 1996 and her holistic nutrition certification in 2005. Uh, in 2018, she also received a certification for FMD, Fasting Mimicking Diet by Prolon and has become an expert in TRE, Time Restricted Eating. She started her own business in 2007, Honey and Vanilla. Uh, before starting her own business, she had many awesome jobs in the food industry. Past lives include a cheesemonger, that sounds like a fun one, a train attendant at the Royal Canadian Pacific Luxury Trains, a personal chef to celebrity Jenny McCarthy and her son, Evan. I definitely want to ask about that. Mm -hmm. uh, Christina is also a published author of the book, Two Little F Words, Fasting and Feasting, Your Way to Optimal Health. She hosts online cooking classes and optimal guidance appointments on Alzheimer's prevention, fasting protocols, circadian rhythm balance, endometriosis, and perimenopause. So, wow, that's, that's a lot. You've had a really rich and interesting career so far and so many fascinating topics. So we definitely have a lot of things to dive into. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe we can start with what, what led you down this path? How did you, how did you end up here? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the food part, well, okay. So I grew up with an amazing cook, my mom, and, you know, even when I was at school, I would call my mom and ask her what we were having for dinner. So I've always been obsessed with food. And um, after high school, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to go into and nothing in university interested me, inter interested me. And so I found out that I could become a chef and go to chef school. So that's when I decided to, yeah, take my, do my red seal as a French cuisine chef. And I just loved it. Like I would go back to cooking school any day and just do it over and over again. It was amazing. And I thrived in high school. I didn't do so well, but in cooking school, it was just, that was my domain. That was my passion. And then um, after cooking, uh, getting into the industry, I very quickly realized that it wasn't very female friendly mm. and that I started to create kind of this chip on my shoulder and having to um, protect myself uh, many times in different restaurants and hotels and wherever I was working, it was, I was always kind of looked down upon and, um, you know, can you actually do this job? Can you lift this big pot? And it just over the years became so, um, well, just, just really annoying. And I just didn't feel like I had to justify myself or prove myself anymore. So I said, forget it. Um, I'm really interested in nutrition, knowing more about that. So I'm going to go back to school. And then when I finished my holistic nutrition, I combined my cooking and my nutrition background together. And then that's when I created honey and vanilla. And then I worked as a cheesemonger, which I don't eat dairy anymore, but that's okay. <laughs> um, fell in love with cheese. I can sell cheese like nobody's business. It's one of my passions, even though I don't eat it anymore. It's an um, easy oh, it's so good. <laughs> and real raw cheese. There's nothing like it. Um, but while I was selling cheese, I 
met a friend that was a personal chef. And I was like, how do you do this? What are you doing? And she kind of showed me the ropes and told me how she created her own business. And I was like, sold, I'm going to do that. So I worked at the cheesemonger for many years until I created enough or, you know, um, had enough clientele for my personal chef business. And ever since then, it's been almost two decades that I've been personal chefing for clients, just going to their homes and cooking their food for the week or um, for the month, I'll cook frozen food. And, you know, because I have the nutrition background, I can cook according to specific diets and, and all of that stuff. And with my book, Two Little F Words, that was created out of, as I say in the book, torturous enlightenment. Uh, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's about nine years ago. And I never thought I would write a, write a book. I never thought I'd be an author. I never thought I had to share this message with people, but it was, um, it just turned into what it is now. It was just really important for me after I learned so much for myself and how to prevent Alzheimer's for myself. Um, I felt like it was really important to share that with other people and, and share really good, healthy recipes that are gluten-free, no refined sugar. And, and that's kind of where I am now. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a really cool path you went down. I definitely want to talk about the Alzheimer's prevention. Um, yeah. Before we go there, I do want to touch on the Jenny McCarthy and her son. How, how mm -hmm. did that come to be? Yeah, that was a crazy, beautiful opportunity. Um, when I finished Holistic Nutrition and I was working at the cheese shop in Calgary, um, I had gotten a call from her not supervisor, but from her, um, from her people yeah. <laughs> saying that there was someone coming in, there was like a movie star coming in to do a movie. And, um, they knew that I was in nutrition and that I could cook like macrobiotic and all of that kind of stuff. And, and if I was available and I was like, yeah, sure. And I didn't know who it was. Um, and they, um, then after a couple of days of us talking back and forth and agreeing to certain things, they told me who it was. And for, I think it was for about a month, she was in Calgary doing a movie and Evan was maybe three or four at the time. It was a really long time ago. And, um, I had the opportunity to nourish Evan and that was the time that I realized how powerful whole foods were. I, I knew it before that, but I hadn't experienced how you can truly change your health, um, depending on the food that you make. And with Evan, you know, um, he was eating, he wasn't eating very many things at that time. Again, for people with, Al uh, with Alzheimer's, with autism, um, texture is a really big thing that they uh, have a hard time breaking down and and wanting to eat. So mm -hmm. he really was really only eating like chicken fingers and um, organic, but chicken fingers, um, very, very little mac and cheese, stuff like that. And through the month of me being able to cook for him, he started eating like spaghetti squash and veggie nuggets and just a whole bunch of foods that he had never eaten before. And the trust that I built with him was again, that's just even a different topic, a beautiful thing. It took me time. It took him time to trust me that 
I was there to nourish him and I wasn't there to, to hurt him in any way. So we would sit together. I would feed him. I would eat with him. And well, this is bringing back so many memories. I haven't thought about it for such a long time. Um, anyways, after being with him for a month and seeing how much his health improved, Jenny was like, please come back to LA with us. And, um, yeah. And then the story goes on from there, but it, it was a beautiful experience and I'm very grateful for, for that because it, it made me realize how powerful whole foods really are and how they can change your, your health. Yeah. And maybe this is a good time. I was going to ask it later, but maybe this is a good time to just touch on kids and food. Like I've had a, such a struggle. Um, I mentioned that uh, like for my son's first birthday, I made like a gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free cake for his like cake smash because I was so like intent on keeping him like clean, clean pure <laughs> for life. Yes. Um, you know, and then sort of life took over and, you know, they go to grandparents and they go to daycare and they go to these places and you just get tired. And, and yeah, I mean, to a degree, I just got super lazy with it. And so now we're in this place where it's sort of the same, like he'll only eat like all the things I wish he didn't eat, like mm. gluten and dairy and cheese and chicken fingers. And how so old is he? He's seven. Mm. Yeah. So do you have any tips or like, how did you work with Evan? How do, how do you reintroduce like whole foods without like, I'm worried I'm going to give him a eating disorder just because I'm like, you got to tell me all the time. I know. Um, you know, I've been reflecting on that. Um, since he sent me that question and I'm like, I don't have kids. So I don't even feel like it's, <laughs> I'm the appropriate person to, to answer that question. Um, and, and my answers may be like totally irrelevant because it'll be like, yeah, but it doesn't work like that, Christina. <laughs> um, but you know, if I had a child, um, I would just continue trying to find ways to show them why the healthy option is better for them and to get them in tuned with how they actually feel when they eat the bad food, if you want to call it bad food, or just like the, the, the non-nourishing food, because Mm -hmm. I think when kids, you know, if they eat something, Um, And they get really tired after, or they get like really buzzed and go crazy for like 20 minutes and then crash. Yeah. I think they start to realize that. And, and the more that you can point that out, I don't know. I'm hoping that, you know, he would, he would start to choose the better options. The other thing too, and I don't know for me, this is like tough love. It's like, this is what you have. This is what you're going to eat. And if you don't like it, then, then you're not eating. It's like, it's, it's kind of like I have a husband and he wants, you know, cheese or sugar all the time. If I don't have it in the house, he doesn't eat it. Yeah. And then he only eats it when we go out. And, and to me, that's kind of fine. You know what I mean? But I don't know if that works in reality when you have kids. Yeah, no, it's funny you say that because I remember my sister had kids long before I did and they were like bagels and cream cheese and that's it. And I'd be like, if you only present them with peaches and broccoli, they're only gonna, (laughs) but now I've been schooled (laughs) by a seven-year-old. But I really like what you're saying about um, getting in tune with their body. I'm a meditation teacher as well. And so I really do um, connect with that answer. And, and and I do try to do that a little bit with, um, my own self. Like the other day we made homemade pizza and I don't usually eat gluten at all. 
And afterwards I was totally crashing and passing out. And I was like, James, look, this is what happens to my body when I'm doing it. So we are following that. So I love that answer. And I'll definitely be trying to, to dive into that and more. There's so many alternatives now, you know, like, okay. So I started doing gluten-free, um, uh, no refined sugar when my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. This is one of the big reasons why I wrote the book because I was trying to actually, and not that I am um, ketogenic anymore, but I was trying to get her body into a ketogenic state. And we can talk about that, the reasons for that later. But so in order to do that, I had to start making recipes that had one, no refined sugar or very, and, and very little, like a little bit of maple syrup or a little bit of honey, um, no gluten. So I had to learn how to make really good quality gluten-free breads and wraps and buns and crackers and all of that stuff. It took me a really long time to get there. They tasted terrible at first, but now there's so many alternatives to really good quality gluten-free sweets and breads and pastas and stuff like that, that I don't think it's that hard to, to transition anymore. It takes a little bit of time getting used to baking gluten-free. Like when I bake a, I, I have a sourdough starter. I don't, I don't buy bread anymore. I make all of my own buns. My, I've got the time to, I don't have kids, so I totally get it. <laughs> um, but I, I make all of my own stuff now and I just have that time slot that that's what I'm doing that day. I'm making this much bread, whatever it may be and cookies and all of that. Like I've got chocolate chip cookies that have only three tablespoons of maple syrup in it. Your kids will not know the difference, mm -hmm. you know? So a lot of the recipes in the book are, I think would be really helpful for you actually. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that the kids would realize the difference because it still tastes sweet um, and the texture is there too. A lot of the times when you go gluten-free, the texture is terrible. And yes, when you make gluten-free, especially baking gluten-free, things have to be warmed up after you've made them, like on the second day, third day, whatever, freezing. They have to be warmed up or else they taste like cardboard and they they kind of fall apart. But if you warm them up, they go back to their delicious, moist texture mm. and flavor and so over time, I've realized that. And I think just people don't know and have the time to dedicate to making, you know, a couple of batches of gluten-free, no refined sugar cookies every week. So at least you give them that alternative and don't even tell them it's gluten-free, no refined sugar. Just like, look, you have a chocolate chip cookie. This is what you can have, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And even carob chips and with keto has brought so much like sugar -less yeah, the whole keto sugarless kind of bothers me now, though, to be totally honest, like I did keto um, for the first six months after my mom got diagnosed with Alzheimer's, my whole life changed for myself, too, because I realized I was in a very critical time in my life where I could either go the way of developing Alzheimer's or go the complete opposite way. And um, what was the point of that? What were we talking about? Keto. Oh yeah. So I did keto for six months. I felt great. I lost way too much weight though. Cause I'm tiny anyway. And, um, I'm glad I experienced that, but to stay on keto, I I'm not a stay on anything. It's just for me, it's a balanced lifestyle. They're therapeutic, um, diets, which I think, uh, would benefit anyone that have 
that has um, memory loss or memory problems right now, I would put someone on a ketogenic diet for that Mm -hmm. um, to get them back into balance. But uh, with all of the alternative sugars, a lot of them are really not good for our gut health. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to overall optimal health and when it comes to Alzheimer's prevention, a lot of those sugars, um, we want to concentrate on our gut health and they actually do the opposite. So I'm so I'm, I, I don't feel so good about the alternative, um, refined sweeteners that keto uses a lot of them anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do you feel about stevia or are there any good ones? Um, if stevia is in its green form, it's natural green form, which most of the time it's not, Um, I'm okay with it. I don't like the taste of stevia. It actually tastes chemical to me. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you use a little bit, I think it's totally fine. If, if you're going to use any alternative sweetener, um, that isn't honey or maple syrup or coconut sugar, then yes, um, stevia is, is fine. But the whole, uh, the monk fruit with the, uh, what is it called? Urethritol, I think it's called. That's not good. Mm-hmm. Not good. Not good mm-hmm. for our gut. No. Um, maybe we can talk about the Alzheimer's a bit. It definitely runs in my family. So I'd love to know more about Alzheimer's prevention and, you know, helping people with Alzheimer's or, or that path. Yeah, I would. Um, it's my passion. Um, you know, my, so just a bit of history. My mom's mom had Alzheimer's. My mom's mom's sisters had Alzheimer's. So like you, it runs in my family. And um, just a quick fact, two thirds of Alzheimer's patients are women. So one man for two women, it's, it's, um, it really is uh, a disease of more women than men. And I didn't know that until I started doing my research either. Um, So when my mom got diagnosed, I went into prevention mode for myself, but also trying to change that for my mom. And in the allopathic medicine world, this isn't putting down allopathic medicine, but I have to breathe truth. Um, They don't believe that it's possible to reverse Alzheimer's. And when I was going to, I started going to a lot of functional medicine conferences in the States and stuff like that, because um, functional medicine with Dr. Bredesen has proven that he has reversed Alzheimer's in many of his patients. Um, under, uh, it's, it's, it's a crazy kind of protocol, but he has at the, at the time that was like nine years ago, there's like an umbrella of 30 possible reasons as to why someone can get Alzheimer's and, um, genetic is the least, probability of getting Alzheimer's. So that, that was very powerful for me when I realized that my genes are not my destiny. And Dr. Bruce Lipton proved that many, many years ago. I don't know if you know who Dr. Bruce Lipton is, but he's an amazing quantum physics, um, doctor who, you know, has done so much for epigenetics which means Mm. above your genes Mm -hmm. and has proven that, you know, so um, a long time ago in his lab, he had three different Petri dishes, all the same, let's say bacteria. I'm not going to get this totally right. All the same bacteria, but gave a different environment to each uh, Petri dish. And 
they all had the same genetic DNA, but depending on the environment, they grew differently. Mm-hmm. And so he proved that environment um, can change our, basically our health and what our health destiny is. And that was really, really powerful for me because before I realized that and before I really knew that, I said, I'm destined for Alzheimer's. My mom had it. My mom has it. My grandmother had it. So I'm eventually going to get it. And if two thirds of people that have Alzheimer's are women, I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. And so when I found that out, I I felt like I had to scream from the hilltops and and share that with people and especially women because um, it's genes are not our destiny. I also got a DNA test and um, one of the biggest precursors to um, Alzheimer's is um, ApoE4. It's an allele on a gene. And if you are, t- if you're positive for ApoE 4-4, which is two fours mm-hmm. um, in the allele, then you have, I think it's, I'm going to get this wrong, but over 50% chance of getting Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And once I tested, I was tested three, four. So I had one and that was like, I don't know, I had um, two times more, three times more of a chance of getting Alzheimer's now, but that's based on the small amount of chance just by having that gene, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not destined to get Alzheimer's just because of that gene, but because that now that I know I have that ApoE4 gene, I'm going to take extra caution and I'm going to understand how that gene actually works. Um, That gene works better because I have it. I can actually fast longer if I need to, which by fasting longer, I am able to get into um, something called metabolic flexibility where I can use either glucose to fuel my brain and my body, or I can use ketones to fuel my brain. And for the last nine years, I've trained my body to be metabolically flexible by fasting and eating, you know, obviously no refined sugar um, and eating in a smaller period of time, like eight hours a day instead of the regular 15 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, I am able to, well, I'm able to um, increase my health and reduce my chances of Alzheimer's. And so also for women and where I, I am in, a, I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to be 46 in a month. And I know this is a really critical time for my hormones right now. What's happening. I'm in perimenopause. So what's happening is my progesterone is going down. So is my estrogen, but my estrogen is actually doing this. So it's up and down, up and down, up and down. And then when you get into menopause, your estrogen goes way down. Mm-hmm. Estrogen helps fuel the neurons in our brain. Interesting. So I cannot, this is me correlating, but many women that start to go through perimenopause start to get anxious. They start to get depressed. This is the high the high, low estrogen, the, the low progesterone, this is what's happening. We go to the doctor. The doctor says you need to go on an antidepressant. They don't get to the root. They don't check hormones. They don't see what's actually going on. They just put you on antidepressant. Antidepressant increases our chances of getting Alzheimer's in the future. 
That's really interesting. Actually, I interviewed um, Dr. Andrea Rayburn. I don't know if you know her. She was my first guest. And that's what she said was we talked about sexual health. And she said, if you go to the doctor for low libido, the first thing they'll do is put you on antidepressant. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, some some women need it um, maybe just for a little bit uh, so that they can get back to their normal self and then be able to do all the other things that they need to do in order to get to that route. Right. I, I, I completely respect and understand that sometimes people have to go on it, but they also need to understand the risks that are involved in that. And so um, I try to encourage women to get their hormones checked so that you know, they don't just automatically go on to an antidepressant and think that that's what is going to solve the issue. Estrogen kind of has a bad rep being um, that it causes breast cancer and that if you have too much of it, um, I, I completely understand that. I have stage four endometriosis. I normally have way too much estrogen circulating in my system. So I'm always trying to find ways to remove it. But also there's that balance, that fine balance of having to make sure that you've got um, enough progesterone, but also estrogen in these times. And when you're in menopause, I know when I go into menopause, I will probably be supplementing with bioidentical estrogen. And progesterone never go on estrogen on its own. Um, so for women that are going through perimenopause that have a lot of the symptoms, the anxiety, the sleepless nights, the depression, the thing that could help the most is actually bioidentical progesterone that you could get. Um, they could, they also call it prometrium um, that you could get prescribed by your doctor, but a lot of allopathic doctors don't believe in it. And they would rather put you on birth control instead of, um, instead of on bioidentical progesterone, mm -hmm. which is super frustrating. <laughs> and if yes. we don't have enough progesterone, so like in our, in our, in our perimenopause years, sometimes we have periods. Sometimes we don't, we could go months without a period. And then we could go every two weeks, we have a period that bioidentical progesterone can help balance that and keep that, um, keep that in balance. And, and progesterone is really calming. It helps us sleep really well. It helps calm us down and keeps us sane and balanced. And so imagine the first hormone to go in perimenopause is our progesterone. And that's why so many people, so many women start to feel crazy around this time. And, you know, perimenopause can start from early forties, and it will go until menopause and, and who knows when you're going to start menopause. The best way to find out if, um, when you should start menopause is asking your mom when, when she went into menopause mm -hmm. and the whole, um, uh, getting hot flashes in perimenopause. That's actually, that's not the ovaries doing that. That's the brain. Um, I believe it's the hypothalamus. If I, let me see, do I have that? I like to always know. Oh yeah, it is the hypothalamus. So the hypothalamus is in charge of regulating our um, temperature. It's not our thyroid, actually. The, the mm. hypothalamus re helps regulate our thyroid and then that regulates our, our temperature. And when estrogen drops, the hypothalamus is in alert, alert, must heat up body and give, and give a hot flash or hot flush. So it's happening in the brain. It's not happening in our ovaries. It's actually starting in our brain. So when estrogen goes down and the sleepless night can also be low estrogen as well. So all of these symptoms that we start to get in perimenopause, 
most of the time is not going to be solved by an antidepressant. It's going to be solved by balancing our hormones. And also um, when we start to do peri- get into perimenopause and menopause, we have a tendency of um, possibly starting to increase our cortisol. And therefore, if cortisol goes up, which is our stress hormone, Mm -hmm. if cortisol goes up, because we're not sleeping, or we are not, um, or we're super stressed, then we can become insulin resistant. And insulin resistance is what I've been trying to prevent, and which I do just on a regular, it's part of my lifestyle. Um, Insulin resistance kind of comes before like you, you are, um, told that you have diabetes or that you have high blood glucose, most doctors will not check your fasting insulin. They'll only check your fasting glucose. And if your fasting glucose is in their parameters in their range, then they say there's nothing wrong with your, with your glucose. One of the most important things in perimenopause as a protocol as part of your lifestyle for optimal health is you want to make sure that your blood sugar is balanced. And that means that you want to make sure that your insulin is not going up and down, up and down, up and down. And the best way to um, make your insulin go up and down, up and down is to eat every two to three hours. So everything I learned in nutrition school (laughs) is um, in this um, for this specific instance is not, is not, um, it's just not right anymore. We've learned way too much about blood sugar balance and how important it is in perimenopause, because that's when we start to gain a little bit of more weight or have that possibility of gaining a bit more weight and feeling bloated. And all of the symptoms that women start to get with perimenopause, a lot of that can be, um, if you can just balance your blood sugar, um, you will hopefully have less symptoms and sleep is another really, really important thing to pay attention to in order to balance blood sugar, but also in order to, to clean out your brain. When we sleep, we have something called the glymphatic system, not lymphatic, Mm -hmm. but glymphatic system. And what happens when we sleep, when we're in a certain state in our sleep cycle, the, um, the, our cerebral spinal fluid comes into our brain. Our, our brain cells shrink by 60%. The cerebral spinal fluid comes in and starts to flush out all of the debris from that day, um, add things in, take things out. It detoxifies. It literally detoxifies our brain every single night. And so if we don't get a good sleep, then that cerebral spinal spinal fluid has not been able to do the job that it needs to do every night. And if it doesn't do that every night, it adds up, it adds up, it adds up, the years go by, the years go by. And then therefore you can start to begin to create more plaque in your brain, um, decrease the chance of being able to produce melatonin. If you don't have enough progesterone, you can't produce enough melatonin. Like everything is connected, right? So by balancing your blood sugar and honoring sleep as a priority, you were doing two um, free, may I say free things. Um, you're doing two things that can increase your health to a level that you don't even realize. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like to, to be able to balance your hormones, which would help us in perimenopause and moving into menopause I'm 41 I'm definitely feeling Mm -hmm. perimenopause symptoms 
um, that will also help in like the path towards preventing Alzheimer's? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, I don't know if it's been totally proven yet that if we don't take care of ourselves in our perimenopause years, that it highly in, well, no, it it kind of has been correlated by Dr. Moscone that if we don't take care of our brains, literally in perimenopause years, we increase our chance of getting Alzheimer's by a huge percent. Now, have we completely proven that low estrogen um, causes Alzheimer's? I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to put that statement out there, but I know inside of me, my intuitive female being, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So if our estrogen is not being taken care of in these years and then in menopause, we have a much, much higher chance of getting Alzheimer's and not even just Alzheimer's heart disease. Heart disease is the number one cause of death for women. I believe anyway, mm-hmm. um, and, and Alzheimer's is number three. It's probably number two now, to be totally honest. It's, wow. it's, it's, it's really crazy. And the other thing is that all of 99.6% of Alzheimer's drugs have failed, have wow. failed. Mm-hmm. And most of the drugs are, um, are tested on men. Birth control was tested on men. Of course it was. <laughs> Not on women. Our brains are completely different. As as similar as we are, we are we are not the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe we have like a um a longer intestinal system as well. So we yeah. are not the same. We can't uh, things have to change so much. We have to start doing clinical trials on women for women's issues, not on men for women's issues. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it's, it's mind blowing to me. We age differently. We age differently. And it's not talked about the, the hot flashes, the depression, the anxiety, all of that is said to be believed that it's just normal. Mm-hmm. It's not normal. It's not, and this is so systemic into so many things. Like I've talked to women in business and, you know, even just like the the capitalism and like the nine to five is based on a male hormone cycle, whereas we're obviously 28 day hormone cycle. And that just doesn't work for us. And so we get the stigma of women in business and we're too emotional and all of these things. There's so many things just rooted in that error of, you know, so much. And we just try to push through it, push through it. And, and, and betray our, our, our moon cycle and, you know, how we are really made and what we should, how we should really be following that cycle. Even, you know, just to touch upon our, our cycle, um, when we begin to bleed, our estrogen and progesterone is, is, is relatively low, right? That's the time to go inward. That's the time to be quiet. That's the time to don't make decisions. <laughs> don't um, don't go to the gym and go hard. Um, fasting is actually great when you start to bleed because both hormones are low. It's a great time to fast longer. If you're normally doing 16 hours, do 24, go for it. It also, because it helps reduce inflammation, reduces pain, just allows you to flow, right? Mm-hmm. And then Well, after about day seven, most women are done bleeding. And from like day seven to maybe day 12, these are just like, you know, not specific um, numbers or dates, but 
from, you know, when estrogen starts to rise, you feel good, make decisions, you book that meeting, you do that talk, you go to the gym, you go hard, everything feels great, because estrogen helps build. Um, I've noticed that when my estrogen is low, going to the gym is so hard, so hard. I'm not building muscle like I used to. I'm just not. So I know that. And I'm trying to add things in like red maca in order to help balance my hormones as well and keep that estrogen at at a healthy level. Um, And then when we get into that very specific, those little, a couple of days of ovulation, that's when progesterone kicks in and starts to do its job. And so if we don't have enough progesterone, we are not going to ovulate. And one of the um, things that I had learned from an amazing fasting doctor was that when, when we get into that time in our cycle where we need to build progesterone, don't fast as much. Mm-hmm. Dr. Mindy Pels, that's who um, I've learned a lot, a lot from. She's an amazing doctor who is very passionate about fasting and especially for women and to do it according to our cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, I just used to she fast. Has a book, doesn't she? I think she I... has a couple of books. Yeah. yeah. I haven't read them yet, but I've been following her for years and years and years. And I've learned so much from her mm-hmm. as she has learned throughout the years for herself too. Right. <clears throat> and so I know that um, after ovulation, it's time to slow down on the fasting and start to eat sweet potatoes, eat good carbohydrates, not refined carbohydrates, although that happens sometimes, um, mm-hmm. but eat good carbohydrates that help build progesterone so that you then get, um, a really balanced cycle. And when we, when we're in like, you know, we start perimenopause, let's say around 40. How long have we just as women be, been betraying our cycle? We've been doing it for, I don't know, maybe 25 years in that time, right? And now it's time to like start honoring ourselves, become more powerful, um, speak our truth and um, say no. Yes. <laughs> or yes, when you want to, you know, and not feel guilty about it. And I feel like the older I'm getting, I'm getting so much more into that and really honoring my truth. And I swear it affects my cycle. It's Mm -hmm. better. It's better. There's an emotional part to our cycle, right? Well, we're just so holistic that way. We've just been compartmentalized like Mm -hmm. our whole lives and like the whole drug and plug. And, you know, we've just, it's just been all separated. And so to come back to this whole being and, um, it just does bring that alignment and harmony. Um, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but I want to oh be my God, it's of 10 your time. O'clock? Oh yeah, my gosh, I, I can't even believe that. Um, so maybe just to part, is there any sort of like maybe a top three hits for women's um, dieting or eating that you might suggest? Yes. Okay. So if, if we're taught, cause we've been talking perimenopause basically yep. this whole time and Alzheimer's prevention, if there are three things I could share and, and that, women could start doing is yes, start time restricted eating. And it doesn't have to be 16, eight right away. Just do 12, 12. Just don't eat three hours before you go to bed. Just do that. So that's helping balance your blood sugar Two, sleep, make it a priority, go to bed, 
wear blue blocker glasses. If you can, I highly recommend them. I really like Swanwick. I don't get paid for that. So, you know, just go on onto Amazon and order Swanwick night glasses. I love Mm -hmm. them. I put them on two hours before I go to bed and they help increase my own melatonin. I have a great sleep. Um, if you're having hot flashes, highly recommend one teaspoon of red maca in a smoothie every day. And it will definitely help with that. But that's just a side note. And then I would say the last thing, start to work on your traumas. Mm. Start to work on your inner self. Because I think through my experience and the experience I am going through with my mom, there is so much trauma that we don't deal with and don't think is a big deal. And we minimize so many things that have happened to us, happened to us in our past that we don't think is that big of a deal, but it was and is for our inner self. And if we can start to break those down and heal them, I think that we have a much better chance of living our um, 50s and higher um, in a much more balanced and holistic and uh, non-betrayal way and that we can finally just like live for ourselves instead of for the way well men want us to live anyway Mm -hmm. (laughs) definitely that is amazing thank you I regret having to delay our start time I wish we could keep going and I hope that you'll come back so I would love to talk I would love to I just have so many more things to say so please and 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 if you want my book I can't I don't even have my own book right now um but you can order it on Amazon. Um, there's many stores in on Vancouver Island and in Calgary that sell it, but it's called Two Little F Words, Feasting and Fasting Your Way to Optimal Health. And um, yeah, please just share the message. That's all I want. I want women to know that it's not um, it's not the end. It's only the beginning. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Christina. I will, I will send you some follow-up notes here, but I'll let you go. Okay. And uh, thank you again. Thank you. Okay. Bye.